0: looking at these things as experiments, exposure opportunities to see what happens when we pull back a little bit. And what I always find so interesting is is 99% of the time, the pullback ends, if not well, then at least fine. Also ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, I'll get feedback that the kid feels good that they navigated whatever it was themselves.
1: We all know that feeling of mom brain, misplacing the car keys, forgetting appointments, or searching high and low for that cup of coffee that you left in the microwave. But mom brain can also be the heavyweight that comes with being responsible for another person and always second or third guessing your every decision, wondering if you're a good parent. I am absolutely thrilled to have Dr. Elise Dobrow DeMarco joining me today. Elise is the founder and director of the North Jersey Center for Anxiety and Stress Management. She is the mother of two young boys and the author of the amazing and aptly titled book, Mom Brain, Proven Strategies to Fight the Anxiety, Guilt, and Overwhelming Emotions of Motherhood and Relax into Your New Self. The reality is becoming a mother is undoubtedly filled with incredible joy but it also comes with its own set of overwhelming challenges, physical and emotional. Today, Dr. Dobrow DeMarco and I will share valuable strategies for parents addressing the stress, anxiety, and guilt that so often accompany the journey of motherhood. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy-to-understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. We have an amazing guest today. We have Elise Dobrow DeMarco here. Um, I'm just so grateful for you to come on the show. I'm really excited.
0: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Yeah. Um, so you you wrote a book, Mom Brain, and you are a clinical psychologist, you work with parents, you know this landscape. I'm just really curious like how when you were thinking when I'm assuming there was some impetus for this particular book to come out of you. Like what was it that you were getting from parents that you were like, This this needs to be addressed?
0: You know, it was one of those timing things. So um I was seeing and, and continue to see, but yeah at that time was seeing a lot of I was a new parent myself. And I was seeing in my practice in New Jersey, I'm in Summit, New Jersey, which is um, a suburb of New York City. I was seeing a lot of women, mostly, some men too, but women mostly, who I think by virtue of like my age and stage were coming to me because they were at the same age and stage looking for support. Um, And my training had been in evidence based treatments for anxiety and related issues. So I was. You know, I, I did a lot of uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, for um, OCD, for generalized anxiety, panic disorder. So that was where what my background was in, and I was finding that a lot of these new moms were coming to me um, with very uh, legitimate issues, with a lot of anxiety, with a lot of comparison making, with a lot of uh, guilt and shame. And anger and resentment. Um, and I found myself also experiencing some of those things as I was having my own kids, right? And, and, and so, you know, I, I talked to a lot of women about these issues and I was experiencing these issues myself and my friends were. And I started to think, you know, the CBT strategies that I was trained on for things like OCD or generalized anxiety disorder can be really nicely uh, modified to fit the needs of moms, um, and parents more generally, I've since kind of expanded out. Um, but you know, CBT and related evidence-based treatments like acceptance and commitment therapy or dialectical behavior therapy has so much to offer in terms of strategies that can get to what we're feeling in the moment and help us manage in the moment. And I found that I could kind of modify some of the stuff I knew to really help myself, um, other moms, other parents. So I started just doing this in my work, Um, And then I started to think, well, I'm wondering if anybody's writing about this, because I always sort of had a side passion for writing, had never tried to write a book or anything. Um, And people really weren't. Um, Much of the CBT literature was and continues to be um, a bit more clinical. There, there's not a ton of lay um, writing that's done about these concepts and sharing these concepts. So um, as I was doing more of this work and finding that it was really helping myself and other parents, I decided, hey, let me try to write a book about this um, and, and really kind of build in all the evidence-based stuff I knew catered to you know, this population that I think can really benefit from it. So that, that was the origin of the book.
1: Yeah, that's so fantastic. And I'm you know, I work with a lot of parents. I'm a mom myself, like I relate so much to it. And it's funny cuz it's like on the one hand, it's not it's not pathological, right? We're not solving a clinical issue, right? You're a parent. It's not like you it's not a diagnosis, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And yet, it seems like there are these like universal things that seem to be like across the board. This is helpful. Like kind of like how when I I I used to run the DBT program at a hospital in the city and like I would run all these DBT groups and I was like, whoa, I am like getting healthier as a human being by teaching these these skills because I became more skillful, right? Like it's not reserved only for dealing with clinical symptoms.
0: I I could not agree more. Um, And I think what's been really interesting for me coming from kind of a research psychology background and transitioning into being a private practitioner is that, there are so many people that come to us that don't necessarily meet criteria for like a DSM, you know, diagnosis, but benefit tremendously from the skills that, you know, we've developed for those diagnoses. Um, and that's what I have found. And now it's funny because like, m- you know, n- now I feel like a lot of the moms that I treat have kids like my kids ages. I feel like my, <laughs> it's like my <laughs> patients are like growing with me. So my kids yeah. now are 12 and nine, um, and I still see a lot of parents of little ones too. But it, you know, it's it's interesting because I have found as I'm I'm branching out and, and working with parents of older kids now, I'm like these strategies are great for everyone. <laughs> like they're just great for everyone. they you know, even if you're not a parent, CBT strategies, DBT strategies, ACT strategies are so useful to help us in the moment. So I, I'm generally very passionate about you know kind of taking these strategies that we know work from research studies and adapting them for everybody. Um, because Mm -hmm. I think everybody really benefits from them.
1: Yeah. And I do, I mean, as much as, you know, being a parent is not a diagnosis, there are some very unique challenges to being a parent. Like, you know, there's a tremendous amount of overstimulation. There's like, you get touched out, you have to juggle 50 million things. You, you have to figure out how do I, how do I stay connected to myself when I've got, you know, other human lives that feel more important than mine. And it, they're sometimes very acutely in the balance, right? Like it's it's a different level of stress than most Definitely. people are used to before they become parents.
0: Definitely. And actually one of the things that I talk to parents about a lot is like, I think a lot of um, parents, you can say, you know, if I, uh, if I, you know, when I was in school, if I, you know, really studied and I really applied myself the results were there. Like I got, you know, I got the grades that I needed, you know, at my Mm -hmm. job, if, if I do the right things and if I work really hard and make the right connections, like I can do well, but here with this parenting stuff, I can read everything. I can follow a million, you know, parenting psychologists on Instagram. I can do all this stuff and do everything quote unquote right. And yet things are still not going my way. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. that is so hard for so many people who, you know, really have trouble getting their heads around all of the things that we cannot control when we become parents and all of the things that can really interfere with like our best intentions or our best plans. And so much of what I talk about, um, really all the time with parents is like, okay, well, what can you control and what can't you right? And Mm -hmm. let's help you figure out those things, but, but know that parenting is not like, The other endeavors that you've, you know, that you've, uh, you know, had in your life before because there is another person involved or other people and so much out of your control.
1: Yes. Which is like a very difficult thing. I mean, especially... I don't know if you, I, I wonder if there's like a self-selecting population of parents who like come to me and maybe also to you. Like if you specialize in anxiety, are you getting more anxious parents, right? If I mm-hmm. specialize in like emotion regulation stuff, am I getting families who are dealing with more challenging and out of control emotions in themselves and their kids, right? We, you know, yeah. we kind of put up our our flags and people come to us for those things. But I do find like there are, There are pressures that parents have internalized, and I don't know if it's always coming in part from society and in part from within, but I get parents who have really high expectations of themselves Mm -hmm. and, by extension, pretty high expectations of their kids. And I think that can be such a – it can make it really hard to what you're describing, like how do you let go of control? How do you focus on what you can control – that's hard to do when you feel out of control because you want to grab onto something really tight. It's like a, like a life preserver.
0: Yeah, no. I, and it's, it's a, it's a work in progress for a lot of people. Right. I mean, and I think in the, you know, it's funny, one of the, um, strategies that I really like from except, uh, excuse me, from um, exposure and response prevention, right. Which we do for obsessive compulsive disorder and related, you know, other anxiety disorders as well. Um, is we have this idea of, of sort of screwing up on purpose where Mm -hmm. you actually, you know, have an assignment from your therapist to like, go mess something up and like, see what happens. And so on the control front, I've done some of that with my patients to say, okay, like why, why not just let your kid walk to school without you? I mean, there's many, many examples, but presuming it's safe. I'm not saying busy city streets here, but like we're talking parents who, you know, uh, say live in a suburban area and it's, it's perfectly safe. And they were trying to micromanage their morning and it's not going well. And, you know, so we'll talk about, okay, well, can you, can you purposely just not go and see what happens or like even to the opposite extreme, like I was saying before, like screw up something on purpose mm-hmm. and see what happens. Can you not respond to that birthday party invite? don't send a response, Mm -hmm. right? They say RSVP by, you know, December 11th, like don't do it. Let's see what happens. Right. So Mm -hmm. I do a lot of that where it's like, let's experiment with not having control over everything. As I said, in in some cases actually screwing up on purpose and let's see what happens and let's see how that outcome uh, compares to the outcome where you're trying to have your hand in everything and control everything and always be there and always be doing right. Um, So we do a lot of that. And I think it's really effective because I think parents see, oh, hey, I can loosen the reins in a bunch of places um, Mm -hmm. and the sky won't fall.
1: Yeah. Well, I think what you're speaking to really challenges perfectionism in parenting, right? Like, which is so huge, I think, for everybody. Um, Like this idea that like, I'm, I'm I'm like hearing the audience listen to this episode and hear you say like don't RSVP to the thing. And I'm hearing them oh, right. like, Oh my <laughs> yeah, God, I can't do that. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. there would be there, that would be rude and they would be mad. And I could, it would, it's not fair to that other mom who's trying to plan the part. And it's like, totally, totally. That's all true. Yep. And can you sit with that discomfort? Because yep. it's an exercise in being uncomfortable. Right. And like, That I think is at the core of a lot of the stuff is like, can we increase our tolerance for the discomfort that comes when we let go of the tight grip on the control? And it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences and it's not messy. And, you know, you might have to go back and repair with that mom friend and be like, hey, sorry about that, but I couldn't get to it. You know, you don't have to get into the why. You could just apologize. But to be in that uncomfortable space, like... There's so much magic in that, but it's really terrifying.
0: Yeah, you got to practice a lot, (laughs) right? Like, so if if there's parents who I'm doing this with, like, we do it very gradually. And maybe the first thing is like, you know, uh, leave out a word in an email to your kid's teacher it's something like, and again, Mm -hmm. I would never tell parents to do anything that would jeopardize their kids or themselves, or, you know, we're talking, we're talking small stuff. Right. But, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so we'll kind of build and maybe they do that. And then like the RSVP is like, you know, later on in the, in the process, we'll say, okay, are you ready? Like, and and for some parents, it's just like, you know, wait, wait a day, you know, like, so if, if December 11th is the cutoff, like, if you really can't manage it, like see how much you can push our, you know, RSVPing. Maybe it's December 12th and you say, okay, I got to do it now, but try to push yourself to the 13th or the 14th, right? So it's really about kind of building up the tolerance, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's tolerating the discomfort. And I also think it's tolerating uncertainty, which is just a great mm-hmm. anxiety management goal for everybody <laughs> because yeah. there is so much uncertainty, particularly in parenting, but in life in general. So it's about that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like even with our kids, right? Like there's the, I'm going to be the perfect mom or the perfect dad that like always, you know, signs up for the PTA meeting on time or RCPs or, you know, says yes to this and this and this and this. Um, But then there's also the, I'm going to let my kid figure this out. I'm not going to solve the problem. Like there's the things that are both perfectionism for us or letting like sitting in the discomfort about how we see our own role as a parent or our identity as a parent, but then there's like, how do we support our kids? And it's an it's intertwined, right? Like my identity as a parent is connected to how much I allow my child to struggle with something and teasing those things apart a little bit. Like I'm curious your thoughts on, on how do we help parents separate themselves from their kids a little bit?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's it's interesting because I was mentioning that as I've gotten older, like my patients too have gotten older and all of our kids have gotten older. And this is definitely something I didn't address as much in mom brain because mom brain, while I think actually useful for all parents, because these are evergreen skills, like it, it, it was mm-hmm. really focused on parents of kids ages like zero to five. So this particular issue didn't come up, but this idea, yes, of when do we let our kids make their own mistakes, right? Make their own calls comes up all the time. And once again, like I tend with my patients to sort of frame it as exposure opportunities to say, okay, this is an exposure therapy exercise. Like, I mean, what I hear about a lot now, so my older one is in seventh grade. So, you know, I certainly hear from him and I hear from a lot of my patients who have kids around that age, like the social stuff, man, is just, I'm sure all your listeners can relate, those who have middle school kids. Um, There's just so much, right? And I've talked to so many of my patients about like, well, do I get involved? right? Do I you know if, if I find out that like my kid is having a lunch table squabble with another kid, do I get involved? And again it, it goes even earlier than that, by the way, of like, mm-hmm. you know, do well, yeah, I' dealing
1: my, with it in kindergarten right now. Like yeah, it's there. Yeah. yeah.
0: I, I was just thinking too of somebody who um, who I work with and it's swim lessons and the kid is ready, like quote unquote, ready, meaning from the instructor, to do swim lessons without the parents present. Mm-hmm. And this patient of mine, like can't wrap her head around not being there to stare at her kid during swim lessons because she's so afraid her kid is going to flail and her kid is not going to be able to do it without her. And so like all of these are examples where I'll say, okay, well, we, we've got to work on you challenging y- yourself, right? We've got to mm-hmm. work on you. Like, here's your exposure homework for the week. Like, let, let her go into swim lessons herself, right? Or, you know, we'll build up to it. Like be in there for the first 10 minutes and slowly, you know, make your way out or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, and similarly for parents of older kids, it's a lot of, okay, um, you know, we understand that you're really interested in solving this lunchroom squabble for your kid. Can your assignment this week be not to reach out to that mom and, and give it some time. Like, let's give it some time. Let's give it between now and your session next week and let's see what happens, right? So it, it's a lot of that. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. almost like looking at these things as experiments, mm-hmm. exposure opportunities to see what happens when we pull back a little bit. And what I always find so interesting is, is 99% of the time, the pullback ends, if not well, then at least fine, <laughs> you know? like, <laughs> and, and the parent has, and what I will say, also 99.99% of the time, I'll get feedback that the kid feels good that they navigated whatever it was themselves, right? So it's such a confidence builder for the kid to be able to say, you know what, I walked into the lunchroom and I decided not to sit next to so-and-so, but put myself next to so-and-so instead. And it felt really good, right? Instead of, oh, you know, the parent has to call up so-and-so's parent and say, what's going on in the lunchroom, right? Or or similarly, Mm -hmm. like, with the little kid in swim class to be like, Oh my goodness. Like, you know, I did swim class by myself. It was the big kid swim class, right? Like that's all really important in terms of the development of our kids. Um, And I'll, I'll end, I'll, I'll just end on this very quickly, but I think what happened with COVID unfortunately is that parents spent so much time with their kids Mm -hmm. over a a, concentrated period of time that I think it's been particularly challenging for parents to back off after that. even as the world has reopened and as things are now deemed as safe as they're going to be and all of that. And so I've found, I'm doing a lot of that work post COVID, a lot of the, like, let your kids do, let your kids be, don't try to control kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same, honestly. Although it's funny. And I'm curious if your experience has been that a lot of this anxiety of like, I need to do this. I need to solve this problem. I need to be present for, for everything. I need to like be in it with them all the time. Is that in your experience with your, the people that you work with, is that coming more from the parents like internally? Like I'm, this is what I'm supposed to do. Is it a response to, of the parent, to the child who's asking for it? Who is the child saying like, don't leave me. You can't, I can't do this without you. I need your help. Um, while those are two separate things, I think they can feed into each other and kind of become kind of a, 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 a self, like a propelling kind yeah, of it's thing. biotic
0: thing. I would agree. Yes. So I would say I've heard both. Um, and I'll say in terms of like them working together, that for me was a very big COVID thing. So I saw a lot, a lot of people who had babies around the time of COVID um, Mm -hmm. or whose kids reached toddlerhood when COVID hit. And I think Mm -hmm. that for me was a particularly um, challenging mix of the kid wanting the parent to be there and the parent wanting to be there um, because the kids had been at home with their parents and nobody else for a long time, right? So the kid got really used to their parents as the only people around, Mm -hmm. And in turn, the parents got used to being the ones who were watching their children 24 mm-hmm. um, seven. And so that, that dynamic is very tricky in terms of now those kids starting to, you know, they're like toddlers or a little older and they're starting to, you know, get out in the world. And I think on both sides, like the kids like, oh my gosh, I need my parents. And the parents were like, oh my gosh, I can't not watch my kids, you know? And right. I do think that was a particularly, a particular COVID thing. And then as far as the, you know, I, I, I should say that I treat just adults, not kids. So I, I hear about everything just from the parent side. Mm -hmm. Um, I think with parents of older kids, it depends. There are some kids who experience anxiety who really cling to their parents. And so, you know, in that case, we really talk about, okay, well, what's the best role for the parent in terms of not accommodating the kid's anxiety. Right. Um, I will say, though, I think a, a lot of the impetus to um, involve oneself comes internally from the parents that I treat, right? This idea, mm-hmm. and, and I think there's just this general idea now as parents, and I've read, and I'm sure your, your listeners have as well, like I've read so many things about this, about the expectations of parents like in our generation, even as opposed to our parents' generation, right? Where mm-hmm. the expectation is like, you do everything. You are always present. You are always involved. You are, all, you know, and I think carrying yes. that expectation around when you see your kid struggling, you think, oh, I, I, I have to put my, I have to involve myself here because mm-hmm. that's my role as parent, you know, call it helicoptering, call it whatever you want. Like I I'm responsible for, you know, dictating this kid's happiness, right. um, which you can't be. Um, so it, it becomes very difficult. So I would say a lot of it does come from, from the parents themselves and their own expectation of themselves, their own very unfair expectations Mm -hmm. of themselves.
1: Yeah. So if you're fine, like if someone's resonating with this, they're like, okay, wait, maybe I am, maybe a lot of the perception that I have that I need to be doing X, Y, Z all the time. Maybe that is coming from an internal place. How do you help parents explore that, check that a little bit, challenge it? stretch past it? I mean, we talked a little bit about the like a little exposure strategies, but like what else, what are some other things that parents can do when they're noticing that happening?
0: So uh, this is sort of a, a yeah, so exposures is specific strategies. And I'll, I'll say sort of a, a larger thing that I have most of my parents do at some point down the line in our work together um which is and then this comes mostly from acceptance and commitment therapy i have parents think a lot and do like a whole worksheet on i have one in the book too on their values the mm-hmm. things that matter to them, the things that are important to them as people. And there's one section that's parenting values, but there's a whole bunch of other sections, right? And so there's values as a partner. There's values in work if you if you you know, if you work. There's values, um, you know, in terms of like leisure activities and recreational things. Um, I spend a lot of time with parents going through values work because I like parents to be able to use their values to dictate the choices they make mm-hmm. as opposed to using what they feel, they should quote unquote, should be doing. Right. Mm. So I'll give an example. I, I, and this is a a composite example of lots of parents who I've worked with, who've come to the same conclusion. Um, Parents will often articulate as a parenting value. I want my kid to be independent. You know, I want my kid to be able to, you know, go to sleepaway camp, to uh, make their own lunch, to whatever. Um, And so we'll go through those values and then we'll come upon decision points where they will express a desire to do something for their kid. And I will say, wait a minute, this is not values consistent, though. You're saying that you value independence in your child. So why are you choosing to do X, Y, or Z thing for them? And I think that can be really helpful because, like I said, I think it helps parents to separate what they truly want for themselves, for their kids, um, versus, again, what they perceive they should be wanting or should be doing. Mm-hmm. And if, if you can start to reference values in that way for them, it can be really helpful. And that, that, you know, leads into the other issue of like parental, you know, self-care. And, and I hate that term, but you know, parental parents doing things that are, uh, for them, just for them, not for their kids, yeah. not for their jobs, whatever. And that too is values driven to say, okay, well, if you value X, Y, Z things in your life, we got to help you make choices consistent with those values. Um, So I think values work in general is very, very helpful. And I I frame a lot of things in terms of that.
1: Yeah. There's two things that you said that made my mind go to like, one is like, okay, when you do values work, it sounds like what you're doing is helping a parent find an internal locus of control. Right. Whereas like, if I'm thinking I'm supposed to be doing this, I'm supposed to be doing that. This is what people expect me to do. These are the rules. Those are external. Focused, Right. Those are external locuses of control. And when we have way too many of those, we really lose our compass. And so Mm -hmm. going inward and saying, well, what do I want? What is my value here? Can be like that sort of anchoring, like internal compass thing. And then that's super helpful to be checking every decision against that. But then the other thing you said was like, okay, we, yeah, we have our values for our kids and as parents. But when we open that back up to like the whole, like, cause I think sometimes with parents who get sort of really anxious about, you know, doing everything and being very tightly controlled about how they're perceived as a parent or how they, with their, you know, how they interact with their kid or how their kid interacts in the world, they are like solely thinking about their parenting identity. And their relationship with their kid and their relationship as a parent, to themselves as a parent, becomes, like, the only thing in the space. And so, like, that zooming out and saying, like, okay, but we're more than that. That's important. It might take up a really big piece of the pie, but what are the other slices? What is the other? And, like, is anything atrophying? Is anything getting really neglected? Like, how do we balance that out more? Like, that feels super important in terms of, like, managing anxiety. Cause it also, it's like, Oh wait, hold on. Wait, there are other things I care about and that are part of my identity, which then makes like, like if, if parenting is your only identity that you can connect with, then every decision that could potentially be difficult becomes like, you know, basically life or death, like make or break. It's, it's, am I everything? Like if this doesn't work, then I'm, who am I? If I'm not the good parent, Versus like, I am so many things. If I have a tough day in parenting, I've got a lot of other identities I can like lean into and feel, you know, stabilized.
0: Oh yeah. I could not agree more. In fact, one of the things that I stole a little bit from CBT for um, eating disorders, which I, I, in my, my like former life, I used to do uh, a lot of, um, there's this concept of like thinking of the self as like a pie, like think of it as like a circle um, and in the eating disorders world, a lot of the, you know, one of the things we talk about in treatment is sort of like, you know, how, how what, what slice of this pie, what, what percentage is taken up by thoughts of shape and weight? And of course, for, for folks who are in the midst of a significant eating disorder, like a large chunk of that pie is taken up by shape and weight. Um, I've talked to a lot of parents about their pies and this idea that parenting can take up way too much of that pie. And that's exactly what you're speaking to, Sarah, like exactly, um, where it, it it's like you're putting all your eggs in one basket, right? Mm-hmm. And you're right. Everything gets viewed through the lens of parenting. Every decision gets made vis-a-vis your children, um, mm-hmm. which is not to say you don't want to include your children in your decisions, but there's also other factors um, in your life. And so one of the things that I work with patients on a lot is this idea of like, how do you get more slices in that pie? Because... <sighs> It's really important to get back to who you are. And, and that's actually been an interesting transition I've made too in working, starting to work with parents of somewhat older kids is they are like, wow, my kids don't need me that much anymore. <laughs> right. Okay. And now I've got this huge pie that's devoted just to them, but they're like off at, you know, school all day. And so, huh. Like, you know, and so we work a lot on like, well, how do we, how do we, again, get different slices in there? Like, and we want values, consistent slices, right. We want things that are really important to them and meaningful to them. So, yes, I I think it's a huge piece. And you mentioned it reducing anxiety, which I couldn't agree with more. I think, honestly, one of the things that can help with this, the really hardcore anxiety you have about your kids is having other stuff in your life, too, Um, because it can mitigate some of the kid-related anxiety, right? Where if, again, your whole pie is just your kids, it's really hard to manage some of the anxiety. And listen, like parenting is wonderful and scary and difficult and anxiety, like there's always going to be something making you anxious as a parent, <laughs> you know, whether it's like something your kid is experiencing or like what's going on in your kid's environment or like, there's always going to be something. Um, and you want to have, again, other slices that help to mitigate that kid related anxiety a little bit, right? Or take you out of it or, you know, help you focus on something different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What are, some, if parents are like, what would be like one or two things somebody could do to maybe become more aware of their pie and the ratio of it. And then also maybe to like, what's a skill you might teach to help somebody diversify? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I actually tell parents to make the pie. Um, and again, I stole this from CBT for eating disorders. Cause that's part of a, like, in fact, one of the, um, the, uh, assessments I used to do a lot for CBT for eating disorders actually asked patients to do this, to like create a pie and figure out like what percentage was shape and weight. So I'll have, Patients be like, hey, let, let, let's let's talk about it. Like, let's talk about what's in your life and what takes up your brain space. Like, if this pie is your brain space, hypothetically speaking, you know, how, what percentage do you think is kids? What percentage do you think is recreational stuff? What percentage do you think is time with your partner? What you know, whatever. And so we'll, we'll just throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I am very big on as a way to bring more values consistent stuff into one's life is scheduling. I'm a huge proponent of scheduling so this is sort of more of the b of cbt the behavioral piece um where again having done a values exercise i'll say to my patients all right what are some things that you value that you are missing right now that's not present so big Mm -hmm. ones i hear about are exercise is a big one Mm -hmm. socializing outside of the kids sphere is a big one you know any other hobbies are big one we talked about our mutual friend who sings right doing things like that as a parent um you know, sometimes extended family is a big one. Sometimes it's not. depends. Um, Spirituality. There, a whole, there's a whole bunch of things that people can identify that, that are values consistent that are missing from their lives. And then I'll say, okay, we got to schedule these things in. And I don't mean schedule like say, okay, well, maybe one day this week I'll exercise. I'll say, uh-uh, let's take a look at your calendar mm-hmm. and let's find, if you want to exercise two days a week, let us find two days where you can fit an exercise exactly when, exactly where, what are the circumstances going to be, and put it in your phone as a, you know, a, as you would a, a meeting for your kid or a work meeting or anything mm-hmm. else. Um, and it sounds really annoying, but it's, I have found the best way of getting parents, particularly of really young kids, to get some values, consistent stuff back into their lives to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to prioritize this. I'm going to find the times and days that really work. And sometimes it requires modification. Like I've talked to God knows how many parents now about doing little exercise things while their kids are napping. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. They're like, The only time I have, I'm like, well, can you get on YouTube and do a little yoga for 15 minutes? Right. So some of it involves creativity to say, maybe you can't go and run, eight miles a day, like you used to, but like, how can you fit this in? Cause it's important to you and it's values consistent and it's going to round out your pie. Um, so yeah. it's really about scheduling. And I do so much scheduling, um, because I, I really do feel that if you're a parent, if you don't have something scheduled in for yourself, you're not going to do it because there's always going to be a kid thing that can come up. Or if you work a work thing, that'll come up. Like there's always going to be something else so you've really got to prioritize and and very specifically schedule and the values consistent things you need
1: yeah I think that's so true because it's like on the one hand these are sort of like big open questions reflective questions like you know what makes you happy what are you <laughs> there's this question I don't remember even where I saw it but I didn't come up with this but someone asked, someone posed this question and I literally almost cried but it but it was like, what would your seven-year-old self be sad to know that you don't do anymore? And I was like, dang, that, (laughs) oof. That is
0: powerful. That's exactly, like that captures it so beautifully. Exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like the stuff that makes you, you is still important when you're a parent and you, it, it, it can so easily get lost. Um, I guess that I I love that question.
1: Yeah. It definitely hit me because I knew the answer immediately. And I was like, it's swimming. I used to swim. Like I used to be such a swimmer. Like, um, like I was on swim teams my whole life and I don't swim ever anymore. And I would be so sad if I knew that maybe it wasn't a seven year old me, but maybe it was like a if an 11 year old me knew I don't swim anymore, they would be so like, how, what? That was like my life. And I think too, so there's like this more abstract, like emotional piece of like, what do you need? What's missing? What do you, what did you let go of that is part of who you are? And there's like a play element to that too. Like I always am like, play needs to be on that pie because people are very like, you know, okay, well, I, Yes. I need to exercise. Yes. I need to cook more healthy foods. Yes. I need to schedule that time with a friend. Yes. I need to get on date on the calendar of my partner. And like all these things to your point of like, we need to schedule them. Like they actually have to happen. They don't, we can't just think about it. They have to be like put in and made concrete. But then there's also like, what do we do to play? Yeah. What do we do that's just like joyful? Yeah. Yeah. That's harder, yeah, right. I think, for parents who are very like, you know, anxious or perfectionistic or like feeling very overwhelmed by the need to like kind of be a certain level of get, got it all togetherness. Like the, they, they're moving very far away from play, I would imagine. And so play is like probably a hard place to just like, how do you make space in your calendar for that? Right? Yeah. Like what does that look like?
0: I totally agree with that. And I think the challenge, right, is that a lot of parents feel incredibly guilty if they do anything for themselves Mm -hmm. that's fun like they're not allowed to do that they're not and it is it is it's just you know it's 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 this idea of like no I I can make fun for others (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. my job is to make fun for other people like uh, you know I happen to be somebody sent to me this was a couple years old but there was this um saturday night live uh thing with kristen wig a couple of years ago where she plays a mom on christmas uh-huh. morning and the kids uh, and, and the dad are talking about how they got all these amazing gifts and the mom's like and i got a robe and it's like that's the running joke of the the sketch is that <laughs> she got everyone else's presents all they got her was some crummy robe that was like on sale and she looks sad right and like to me <laughs> that that's exactly what we're talking about is like yeah my job is to make fun for everybody else but there's no fun for me. So yes, mm-hmm. I, the fun is a hard sell. And again, that's why like with the values worksheet that that I have and it, that I have in the book or, or you can get values worksheets like if you just Google it, you can find a whole bunch. Um, one of the sections I have is like recreation and leisure. And within that, I really encourage people to be like, so yeah, there's there's working out and for some people they love it and it's part of their identity and it is fun. For other people they have to force themselves. So for the people have to force themselves. I'm like, well what you know, what is the what's the leisure activity that you like? And and to your point about that quote, I will often ask people like, what did you used to do before you had kids? Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will be like, you know, I don't even remember, right? And so I'll really be like, okay, take yourself back to high school what were you doing in high school? You know, like what were the things that brought you joy at that time? You know? And so sometimes you really have to take people back so they can remember. And again, it's about scheduling this stuff in and about saying, this is a therapy homework assignment for you. Like you've got to go home and do, you know, X fun frivolous thing that you haven't done since you were 16 years old. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And as with any kind of, um, you know, exposure type homework in CBT, like these things all feel sort of uncomfortable at first until you do them enough times. And then you're like, okay, like I can get behind this. So like the first time you're doing that frivolous thing, instead of dipping into the, you know, list of a million things you have to do as a parent, you'll feel a little icky. You'll be like, oh gosh, the time is passing and I should be doing this, but I'm I'm doing this fun thing. The more you do it though, easier it gets until you're like, yeah, I really can get behind this, like me doing a fun thing what, at whatever cadence works for you once a week, once a day. once You know, I like, I'll talk to patients mm-hmm. about kind of what they need. Um, So it's, it, it's practice. And it's funny to say, it's like practicing leisure activities, but like yeah. you do have to practice it and get used to it and get used to stepping back again and not, not always full throttle parenting all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think it's, it's a lot easier to be like, Oh, I'm to just add more shoulds to the list of to do's. And I think that's the, the, the tightrope we have to walk is like, how do we expand our identity outside of parenthood, but not just in terms of being like, oh, I also need to, you know, hit that organic market. And I also need to, um, you know, send all the thank you notes, you know, whatever, I guess that's parenting usually, but like, whatever, like it's this, it's like, how do we make sure it's not just more shoulds?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, because the shoulds are unending, unending, yeah. and particularly where like social media is concerned. It's just a constant bombardment of shoulds that parents. Yes, <laughs> right?
1: yes. So. and you talk about this a lot too, this idea of like how much social media has sort of hijacked the way we, our perception of ourselves as parents and the story we tell about ourselves as parents. Like, I definitely want to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. Oh goodness. I have like, I have so many thoughts and I think a lot of the social media parenting stuff really exploded over the pandemic too, because everyone was home and, you know, had time and was lurking around social media and there's so much of this. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, I, there's so many aspects of this, right? So there's the aspect of, of kind of performative parenting where people go on social media to perform as parents, right? So you're seeing their beautifully curated parenting story. You're not necessarily seeing what's going on you know, behind closed doors. And obviously, I talk to, to patients about that a lot. Um, another thing I talk to patients a lot about is the idea of considering the messenger, which again is a CBT concept that I've sort of like adapted to the parenting space, Um, I think a lot of parents, at least many of the parents that come to see me, will come in and say, Oh my gosh, I saw this thing on Instagram that I'm like supposed to do and I'm not doing it and oh no, like what you know, and they won't really stop and consider who's telling them they're supposed to do that. Like, who is the messenger here? (laughs) Right? Um, and they'll and I'll and sometimes I'll ask and the parent, you know, my patient will be like, I actually don't remember. Like it was something I saw on Instagram. I don't remember who said it. (laughs) Um, And sometimes they will remember, but it'll turn out to actually be someone where if I have my patient kind of like look into their background, it's very clear to them that this person has very different values from theirs. Um, And that's where it gets back to considering the messenger. You know, if if you're getting um, a message coming in through social media that you should be doing something and it's giving you anxiety, ask yourself, who's telling you that you should be doing this? Is this a person whose opinions you value? Is this a person whose values you think you share? Um, Because if so, okay, maybe that's someone who who it's worth your time listening to. But if not, toss it aside. Like Mm -hmm. I I, I liken it to if you're going to a medical doctor for some physical illness and you look online and you don't really respect that doctor's training and you think the doctor kind of sounds like a quack. And then you listen to their medical advice anyway. Like that's sort of the way that I see it. And so I really try to help my patients be like consumers on social media Mm -hmm. and ask themselves, who's telling me this? And again, is this someone whose opinions I value and whose values I seem to share? I mean, and this gets at a lot of like the celebrity stuff too, where like, Mm -hmm. you know, patients will say, oh my gosh, like this celebrity mom is doing that. And I'll be like, okay, well, you know, what do we know about this celebrity mom? Like, probably has a staff of thousands, like there's probably a lot of things that make her values a little different than yours. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of that of being, like I said, sort of a more educated consumer. And then I have some patients, frankly, who just either go off social media entirely, Mm -hmm. or will choose to be very, and this gets back to scheduling, be very structured about it. So, you know, like I've had tons of patients who will say like, I scroll in bed at night and then I can't sleep because Mm -hmm. I'm filled with all these things. I feel I should be doing and so I'll say okay well we can't be doing this at night like what's your social media time for the day when are you doing it when are you stopping it you know etc so there's a lot of that too of just figuring out okay how much of this can I reasonably consume um, and still feel like I can keep my head above water um, Yes, which I think is important
1: I, I think that's so helpful like so I'm hearing filter filter the information that's coming in with a little bit of double checking right like and I love this idea of like, who is telling me this and do they match my values? I also feel like to add like a layer to that, I also feel like we can ask, does the, like, let's say for example, cause I, my head goes to like me, right? Like I'm a psychologist. I talk about parenting and I also want parents to listen to what I'm saying and then think, does this work for my kid? Because not every single thing that even someone whose opinion you respect will or should work for your kid. And like, I feel like there's a lot of people in this space who have fantastic credentials. They know what they're talking about. And yet they sometimes fail to give parents that dose of like permission to say like, you don't need to use this if it doesn't work for you, because no single thing will work for all kids. And I think that is a missing message in a lot of social media content. Like, I think, yes, we need to filter out, like, who is this coming from? Is this a vetted source? Do they share my values? Because right away you can get rid of a lot of noise just with that question. But even inside the, yeah, I like, I respect where this information is coming from. And I think we share values and... Does this match up in this particular scenario with me and my kid? Because sometimes it won't. And like, we need permission, again, to your internal compass thing that, you know, that you're, that, that, that internal value and maybe that internal value is like, I want my kid to be independent, right? To your earlier example, one family's independent child is going to look super different to another family's independent child because those two kids are different. And one kid may not be able to do something that another kid could, and we could still see them as independent. So it's like, you have to also really be like, does this fit me and my family in this moment in time, in their developmental stage, in the chaos in our life in this moment? Like, what's our resources? What's, what's going on? Like, do we just have a big transition? Probably not going to be super independent, like whatever it is, but like, that individualization and like that reflecting it back to like, is this fit my reality? I feel like that can be very, that can cut out a lot of noise too.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I talk to patients a lot about like guidelines versus rules. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you're talking about, because they will, uh, at times latch on to like a certain, uh, you know, social media account or whatever that, that we deem, as you said, you know, values consistent and appropriate, but they take the the words as gospel mm-hmm. um and you never can because as you pointed out and it's not just like even if you have one child kids change so much that yes. something <laughs> that might work for you for even you know e, e, and obviously between children totally different but even within a, a kid things are changing so much and something that might work for them you know now might not work for them three months from now because their environment has changed or because right so I always talk about mm-hmm. like Guidelines versus rules, like yeah, these are all just guidelines. But you don't always have to follow guidelines if, in fact, it's not appropriate for you. The, the one that you know comes to mind instantly about this is the breastfeeding thing. Mm-hmm. Which goodness, I mean, if I had a dime for every mom who came to me racked with guilt because she could not breastfeed. Um, It's all my fault. It's, you know, and oh gosh, like Mm -hmm. I I could talk about this for a million trillion hours, but I think this is a great example where there's been so much messaging from very obviously reputable sources that breastfeeding is good, wonderful. However, it does not work for all women for a variety of reasons, right? Mm -hmm. It may be physiological, it's difficult for them. It may be situational. They're in a work situation where it's impossible. There's so many reasons why it does not work, For many women, and it's totally fine for those women to to feed their kids in other ways, right? So I think that's to me like a shining example Mm -hmm. of not following these things to the letter, yeah, and really considering your own circumstances and your kids' circumstances, right? And and what's as you said, like what happens to be going on in your lives at that period of time,
1: yeah. Because I think to your point, like one of the reasons why parenthood has this like unique set of stressors is in part because yes, there's pressure coming from inside. <laughs> it's coming from inside the house, right? Like we put so much pressure on ourselves, but where did it like originate? You know, like we internalized it from somewhere, right? right? We weren't born with some notion of what we we're supposed to do as parents. <laughs> like a baby isn't like, okay, It's I've got this, you know, rule book from birth. It's like, no, we, we take it in as we grow and it is generational, right? Like, and I think, I hope we're moving in a direction where we're in some ways breaking some of those cycles, but I think in other ways, we're creating a whole new set of perfectionistic problems and like pressures on parents that did not exist for our, our parents, you know? And I think social media is one of the things that is new. (laughs) If you look generationally, it's Kind of new to our for like we're probably, I mean I'm 38, um my kids are six and four and a half right like I think parents of this sort of millennial and even just one generation before kind of not even that much we're like the first generation to be parenting in the realm of social media, and it's toxic.
0: definitely. And I think it's even, so my sister has a a 22 year old and a sophomore in college, and even the difference between what she was exposed to and what I have been exposed to with a 12 and nine year old, vastly different. And, and for, I I imagine for you, Sarah, with somewhat younger kids, it's even more of a thing, (laughs) you know, I think you're right. I think it's just right. And, and again, because there's just, you know, there's no end to what you see on social media. There's no end to the messaging that's being thrown at parents about all the different things they need to be doing, they need to be buying, they need to be saying, I mean, like, you know, to the point where I have, um, patients who, who really, um, want like to, to be told what to say to their children in very specific interactions and think there can be kind of scripts for everything. Um, and I think social media says, yeah, there can be, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and here's the script, right. Or, um, and, and I think it's, it is, the, the pressure is, is so intense and so difficult. And, and you mentioned like internal locus of control. I mean, for me, I think a general mission that I have is to help parents get back to that internal locus of control to get back to again, what, what they value because yeah. I feel like, I don't know, my, 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 Parents, If I think of my mom in particular, like I don't ever remember her caring much, like what other moms were doing. And I think in part it was because she didn't know. Right. I mean, there wasn't social media. She didn't know. But, you know, I would love for parents to get back to that. Right. To feel like I'm going to make choices that are good for me and for my family, given who I am, given who if I have a partner, who my partner is, given who my children are, I'm going to make the right, the values, consistent choices for all of us that may be yeah. totally different than the choices my neighbors make for their kids. Yeah. Um, and nobody's wrong and nobody's right. Like that's another thing too. I, you know, a lot of parents will come in and ask me like, do you think I was wrong in this situation? You know, whether it's, a, a, you know, a parenting decision or a, a discussion with another parent or whatever. And I'm like, there's no right or wrong. <laughs> you know, there's just like <laughs> what's values consistent for you. Like what, you know, what for you is most, um, you know, is the the decision, the action that fits best with how you want to parent, right? And who you want to be.
1: Yeah. And it goes back to sitting in the discomfort because someone might think you're wrong and you have to be able to say (laughs) they can think I'm wrong and it's going to feel uncomfortable to, uh, to know that and to continue to move in a direction that feels aligned with my values because I might be judged for it. Like I have felt many a time on the playground judgment and it's not like in my head like I can feel it and I can see it and when when, like for example like if I'm not making my kid share a toy because if people have listened to the podcast they know like I have sort of a bigger view of sharing like you need to give a child access to territory for them to be able to willingly learn how to give it up and so when they're little I'm like yeah I you're using that. What can you say to this? You know, can you tell the kid I'm not done? You can have it when I'm done. Instead of saying like, Oh no, no, you have to let them have a turn. And I get the look from the person who's like, give my kids a toy now. It's yeah, their turn. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, so it's like, I'm, I'm parenting in alignment with my personal values. It's not better or worse than anyone else's, but they're the ones that I'm choosing, right? They're, they work for me and my kid. And I might be pissing somebody off in doing it and it's uncomfortable and I have to tolerate it. And sometimes I don't, sometimes I'm just like, you know what, just give them the toy. Like we'll <laughs> practice this somewhere else, like another time. So it's like, it's hard. Being parent is so hard. A yeah. lot of discomfort and the sitting in it is the work sometimes.
0: Oh yeah, I do. I mean, all the time I have. So it part of my, my book has come, no stories specifically about patients I treat, but like composite, you know, stories based on patients I treated, but also I, I write about a lot of my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that came to mind when you were sharing your story there was that I, um, when my older son was in kindergarten, they were, we were tasked with dressing them for Thanksgiving, um, and like the, they were supposed to dress like the first Thanksgiving and we were told to consult Pinterest. And I was like, you know what? Not only do I not have time for this, but I stink at this. Like I, I'm horrendous. <laughs> I'm not crafty. I can't do costumes. I stink. Um, and so, and my son was like, I don't really want to do this. And I was like, okay, well I think we're like not going to do this. And it was my first year in a new school. And I was very conscious of how people were thinking of me and my family. And I very reluctantly talk about sitting in discomfort. Like I can still remember dropping him off at school the best we got was an orange pumpkin t-shirt. So he was in an orange pumpkin, like long sleeve t-shirt. And I'm looking at the, the the line of kids waiting to go in and there are these impeccable costumes. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, like I'm going to probably be judged for this by some and my kid perhaps by some. But you know what? Like I made a values consistent choice, not just for me, but for my son who was like, I don't want to dress up. And I was like, well, I don't want to be making, you know, first Thanksgiving costumes out of pine cones or whatever. Like I don't want to do this <laughs> So like, it, you know, it ended up like, for me, that was a perk that the same as, as your example there, like that, that's my story of this, right. Where I was yeah. like, and I did feel uncomfortable a hundred percent. Um, but I don't regret it because I think for me, it was the right thing for me. I was exhausted. I had a two-year-old at the time also, like I just couldn't make it work and it was right for my son.
1: Yeah. And like that there's beauty in us sharing those stories because again, like the parent who did the elaborate acorn paper mache, whatever grew, like that was their choice. And right. maybe they felt very compelled mm-hmm. to do it. And it wasn't a values-based decision. Maybe they were like, this is my joy, right? Oh my God, I get to craft. This is me playing, right? So yep. for whatever, like, and there's no right or wrong. And I mean, we're so stuck in this idea that there's a set of rules. And if we don't obey the rules, we're wrong. If other parents don't obey the rules, we're going to judge them. It's like, whose rules? Whose rules? Yeah. We yeah, got to right. re, rethink this a little bit.
0: I completely agree. And you're right. Like, and I happen to know, having gotten to know many of these parents much better now. Yeah. The ones who had the elaborate costumes are the ones who love this stuff, <laughs> who love making things, who love, you mm-hmm. know, and I, so that again, value is consistent for them.
1: Yeah. So maybe that's the takeaway, right? If you take one thing away from this episode, it's like, how do you just check in with your values? I think that this idea of doing an actual pie would be a really great ep- uh, exercise for anyone listening to just, just do it. Like get a piece of paper, draw a circle, figure out what goes in that pie and then figure out is, and then look at it and say like, is this, how does it feel to look at this? Is yeah. this feel okay to me to see this particular set of ratios? thing I want to change. What would I, what do I wish? What would my seven-year-old self want this pie? To yeah, look
0: I like? really like that. I'm going to use that, Sarah. I yeah. really, really like that. And I think, I think you said it well too. like, maybe you say 11 or 12 year old, right? Because like, that's right where my son is right now. And I'm like, yeah, like that age when you're so passionate about so many things, right. Yeah. And you really identify with things like, you know, what can you get back from that time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So co-create that, that values wheel with your inner child. <laughs> totally. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. If people want to read your book or learn more about your work, how can they connect with you?
0: So my book is called Mom Brain, um, and that you can get it on Amazon or, or anywhere else. Um, my well, I have, I'll give you my old and my new website. So I'm still operating with my old website. My new one is under construction, should be ready soon ish. My okay. old one is Dr. C, it's not that fancy, but it's just, um, my old one is DrCBT mom.com, which is drcbt mom.com. My new one is going to be drelise.com, D-R-I-L-Y-S-E.com. If you use the old one, you'll be, you know, sent to the new one. So it's fine. Um, But that's where there's just information about me and my practice and, and my writing and all that stuff.
1: That's so great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was lovely talking with you.
0: Yes, same here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: If you enjoyed listening to this conversation, I want to hear from you. Share your thoughts and your feedback with me by scrolling down to the ratings and review section on your Apple Podcast app or whatever app you're listening on. And let me know what you think of this episode or the show in general. Your support means the absolute world to me. And just a simple tap of five stars can make a real impact in how this show gets reached by parents everywhere. So thank you so much for listening and don't be a stranger.